Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about the latest market rally and the growing optimism that a Brexit deal may be secured and ratified in time, as well as some of the most common investment questions from customers and clients. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Olivia Gleeson, UK government relations expert, Mayor Sherry, investment consultant, and Jean-Paul Yeagers, head of asset allocation. Hello, welcome to another bumper edition of Word on the Street. Wow, what a week. Great, very encouraging vaccine announcements, which means quite a bit of sort of positivity, good positive mood music coming out of Westminster. And so we thought it might be a good opportunity to take stock and cover some of the most pressing questions that clients are currently asking us. So in order to facilitate that and to hear the sort of client voice, I'm joined today by Miles Sherry, who's an investment consultant, spends a lot of time talking to clients. And on the Westminster side, we've got Olivia Gleeson from Government Relations. And as ever, our asset allocation team, this week uh, represented by JP. So let's get going. Let's start with politics, which is never a dull subject. It's crunch time, it seems, for the UK and the EU to to hopefully get some kind of deal. Olivia, can you share with us and the listeners, what What's the current that you're hearing, current latest? I mean, you're right, Nikki, it really is a pivotal point for the negotiations. Despite the setback last week when a member of the EU negotiating team actually caught COVID, forcing the talks to become virtual rather than in present, which was a little bit frustrating, there's actually a real high degree of optimism that a deal is there to be done. I mean, you may have actually also seen some media reporting over the weekend from the Commission's view that 95% of the treaty has been agreed. That being said, you know, some caution, we're still not there yet and some issues remain outstanding, the same age old, it's fishing and state aid. And it's widely acknowledged that negotiations between officials alone are unlikely to surpass these obstacles. So it will take a political intervention for us to move past this. And we understand that Boris Johnson might actually make a call to EU President Ursula von Leyen this week to do just that. Of course, the possibility of a breakdown still remains. And we may not necessarily see a deal done and dusted until next week, but for certain, the end destination should be very clear by the end of this week. Any white smoke from the Boris von der Leyen call or the scheduling of a UK cabinet Brexit subcommittee could indicate a breakthrough. So overall, we consider a breakthrough significantly more likely than a breakdown at this point. Great. And and that, that last 7%, no doubt, is the trickiest 7%. Let's watch this space. And and you've mentioned before that, you know, obviously timelines are exceptionally tight. If a deal of some sort does get secured, how do they actually get this across the line and, and implement it in time? Yeah, I mean, that is the million dollar question and the pressure to agree a deal in time for ratification by the end of the transition period, which is the 31st of December, is really quite hard to overstate. So we know that timings wise, the end of November is widely considered as a deadline for a deal to allow time for ratification. And given we're rapidly approaching the end of November, attention is now turning to sort of creative ways in which it can get across the line. And the good news is that both sides are indicating quite a high degree of flexibility to accommodate this. For example, the European Parliament is considering running a special voting session between Christmas and New Year in order to sign off on any deal. Meanwhile, there are other sort of fudges, so-called, that are being looked at, including the possibility that any deal is only agreed for a temporary period, perhaps seven years to coincide with the end of the next EU budget. But, you know, in short, the old saying of where there's a will, there's a way comes to mind here. And if we can expect that a deal can be agreed, 
both sides will certainly be resourceful in order to get it signed, sealed and delivered in time. Great. And turning more to sort of internal matters, we had the Chancellor delivering his spending review earlier this week. Can you give us a bit of a a take on the significance of that? Of course. So, yeah, it's been a very big week for Rishi Sunak with the Chancellor setting out his one-year spending review against one of the most difficult economic backgrounds in uh, contemporary political history. Now, to be clear, this isn't a budget, which incidentally has been delayed until 2021. So the statement itself didn't actually set out any tax cuts or increases and instead focused on public spending commitments. So if we look briefly at these, we know there's additional money for the NHS, skills training and job support, in addition to funding for key infrastructure projects to enable the government to follow through on its commitment to level up. But what is more interesting is the economic forecasts and indications of how the Chancellor plans to plug this black hole. You know, there's no two ways to look at the latest economic outlook. The Chancellor really does face a ginormous task of addressing the public finances. Now, we know that Rishi Sunak is a fiscal conservative at heart, but this approach has been tempered by the unique circumstances of the pandemic. So continued borrow and spend is very likely until the pandemic has passed in order to avoid hurting a very fragile economy. But the Chancellor is also intimating that the UK will have to make some very difficult and painful choices soon. The question is sort of what will fiscal consolidation look like? Now, it's very early days and there's still lots of unknowns at this stage. But we can certainly expect some tightening of fiscal policy in the not too distant future. We've seen a range of measures being speculated in the media, which I can touch on briefly, including public sector pay freeze, a possible increase in corporation tax, a cut in overseas aids, simplification of inheritance tax and potentially changes to capital gains as well. Now, we don't know if or how many of these measures will be introduced or indeed when. It's very much a situation of uh, watch this space and we'll certainly be keeping a very close eye on any further signals to this end. Great. Thank you, Olivia. And and just turning to you, JP, I mean, obviously, Olivia is talking broadly about slightly improved mood music from the sort of political sphere. But what are you seeing happening in the world of of financial markets? Is that being reflected? Well, we we did indeed see uh, sterling strengthen quite a bit. And we have also seen that UK stock markets have been doing better than what we've seen elsewhere. Just I I would suspect that in part is what uh, what Olivia just been referred to as improving mute music, that indeed there has been a reassessment of the likelihood of securing a deal. The reason that I say part is that we've also seen other very important news. So particularly the efficacy of the different vaccines that are being uh, trialed at the moment. And those have resulted in financial markets pricing higher energy prices, a weaker dollar. There's to some extent what we see is a mix of developments that have been favorable for some sectors that are the heavyweights. If you, for example, look to the UK stock, uh, stock market, like energy or financials, although uh, we have seen recent optimisms in, in reflected in UK stock markets. We still do see that there is a massive gap, for example, with global or US stock market. Okay, and then moving a bit away from, from politics, obviously, we've seen markets have been buoyed by, by the really excellent news that we've been seeing on, on vaccines. You know, three clinical trial uh, outputs showing the vaccine uh, to be to be effective. So let's hope that things can at some point return to a, a near normal. JP, what are your reflections with respect to the fact that we we've got this sort of hope and good news on the vaccine front? Yeah, I think everyone is wishing to get back to the normal, as do I. But what we've seen with the recent news is that there is clearly some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, 
We've seen that investor sentiment has improved since the US elections. So we've seen with the encouraging news on the different vaccine trials. And with this improving sentiment, it's, it's that investor sentiment that is something um, that we are monitoring closely as an investment team. Uh, although it's not something we are concerned about at the moment, that there is too much optimism reflected in financial markets. But it is something where we see the, yeah, that investor sentiment is getting uh, more elevated at this moment. We also realize that there are still some hurdles to pass. So think of official approvals for a new medication, or if you have to vaccinate a proportion of the population, it takes some time to get this desired herd immunity. But admittedly, it's, it's a great achievement. And, and I read somewhere that it usually takes about 10 years to develop vaccines like these. And now it's taken something about like 10 months. It's a huge effort by science. And so... You know, obviously, we've we've all had to adapt to changes in ways of living and working. We've seen unprecedented peacetime measures introduced by by governments all over the world. And you know, this this outcome from these clinical trials in in record breaking time. We've obviously also seen, you know, for for different reasons, record breaking uh, movements in financial markets. Miles, just turning to you, obviously, in your role day to day, you're talking to clients constantly. What what are you hearing? What's front and centre of investors' minds at the moment? Yeah, absolutely, Nikki. And it's, it's incredible, really, how fast uh, things can change. Because, I mean, just a few weeks back, some clients understandably were very concerned before the vaccine news started to come through. And now Monday seem to have temporarily been renamed as Vaccine Monday going off recent announcements. And so they wonder now if they've if they've missed the boat. And you said it's been a sort of record-breaking period. And I saw the other day, actually, that the S&P 500, so the US uh, stock market, has hit something like 25 new all-time highs this year. And to many, that's going to sound pretty crazy. So it's probably of little surprise that the main challenge from clients now is around why they should uh, get invested when it looks like maybe a load of good news around vaccines is, is priced in. I guess the question here is, is the risk skewed to the downside maybe in the short term, say if a vaccine doesn't get approved, or maybe the rollout is not quite as easy and efficient as first hoped? Miles, that's a good point. I can briefly respond to that if, if that's helpful. So so what you just described are yeah very clear emotions uh, that, that clients and investors have when investing, and they're very understandably. And that's, but, but in effectively, they're very hard to use as a radar to make investment decisions. It's very hard to get invested after financial markets have risen significantly, but equally, it's very hard to get invested when markets have dropped significantly, like say 20%. That's why we keep recommending clients to invest in a diversified portfolio for the long term and leave it to the experts to make some changes based on, on, on those kind of market swings. And as you say, there are also always risks and unforeseen events uh, something that we should always be conscious of, but that's something, yeah, it's very hard to anticipate with a lot of confidence and get right well ahead of time. Yeah, and I think the other point here, JP, is the rebound has largely tracked the significant policy support we've seen. That's both from government spending and, and job support, like like the furlough scheme in the UK, but also central bank support. So I guess the follow-on question there is, if that starts to dry up, will we start to see stock markets fall again? Um, I, I, I don't think so. In, in the past, we've seen policy support come in to stabilize the economy. Uh, and once it, the economy finds its feet, it will slowly be, not, be normalized. And this is often at a time when we observe the economic rebound. 
there's the support provided by governments and especially now for this specific uh, e- crisis for, for the labor market has been incredibly large. It's a massive support by governments for the labor market. Uh, but then indeed the question is about duration. How long does this take and is this sustainable? Now we see that some of the vaccine uh, trials are, the efficacy is actually quite high. There is likely some end at the tunnel uh, for that. Okay, and that probably leads us nicely on to the subject of interest rates, which is certainly uh, front of mind for, for many clients at the moment. In a world, of course, where we see interest rates at or at least very close to zero, how does that actually affect investor behaviour? And maybe this comes back to the point I was making there around the sustainability of the recovery we've seen too, because there's been signs that many retail investors have been buying stocks this year, maybe because they realise they are likely losing money after, of course, taking into account any inflation on their cash. And there's minimal return on offer from cash and also very low risk investments like government bonds. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And that's a question we as investors have been thinking about hard as well. I think we only will know after a longer period of time. A lot has been studied about if you see interest rates moving up and down, how that impacts society and the economy. Indeed, what we can say is that uh, cash savings will likely not provide an attractive return for quite some years to come. That's the most probable outcome. And, and especially not, as you mentioned, uh, after accounting for inflation. But to some extent, this is partially the purpose of central banks. What they would like to do is by lowering interest rates to get people invested and get people spent money to stabilize the economy. And, and this is yeah, also something that implies to the investment context, as, as, as you correctly asked, is that we also then slightly would see that investments will likely move up a little bit in the risk spectrum as well. So to get a similar kind of return, you will see in general that the investments are more tilted towards the higher risk investments as well. Good. Miles, any, any other areas that you're being quizzed on from, from clients? Yeah, absolutely. You're doing, you're doing pretty well so far, JP, and I could go on uh, all day, really. It's actually quite nice. It's quite nice to be on the, other, on the other end of the table asking these questions rather than trying to tackle them uh, myself. But I guess this is not so much a question, but something JP and the wider team have been pointing out time and time again, really. And where this year has been very poignant, I think, is resisting the urge to go all in or all out, because investing is much more nuanced than that. And JP, you've said on occasion on this podcast, you've highlighted the work that you and the team do on strategic asset allocation. That's, of course, your long-term view of the world, and also tactical asset allocation, where you and the team are making those small, short-term tweaks around the edges of portfolios. And I think that's really come to fruition this year. And clients sometimes, you know, they feel they can dodge the risks. And this is understandable. I mean, after all, we'd all love to put money to work at the best time possible. And that that sounds entirely logical. But in reality, it's nearly impossible to do, unfortunately. Equally, I think the term in it to win it probably springs to mind. Markets react almost immediately after news comes out. And just look at how some stocks rebounded after the first vaccine news came out. Leisure and travel stocks amongst others, rebounded immediately and sharply, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's exactly the reason why we, if we made those kind of investments and build client portfolios, where we spend a lot of time coming up with the process and the different lenses to that. So indeed, as you correctly point out, we spent quite some time thinking about, okay, if you would invest on a strategic basis, how would you build your, your best possible portfolio that can withstand many, many different futures? 
and and here in the, we spread the risk across a range of different financial uh, different financial assets. And then on top of that, what we do is that we have a separate process, and here the team uses slightly different lens, is to come up with adjustments to those uh, weights in the portfolios to reposition portfolios and to benefit from the large swings we see in, in markets, whether it's opportunities or dislocations. And this year has been a, an, an example for that, where we have seen massive, massive repricing in different financial markets. So plenty of opportunities, but but very much at the margin of your investment, as opposed to as as you said before, the sort of all in or 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 all out, as Miles mentioned. Yes. So we've covered a lot. Thank you for all your contributions. Really, really helpful. And you know, given given Olivia's update, I think we're all going to be on on white smoke watch. So no doubt we'll we'll have more to talk about with Olivia in in coming in coming days and weeks. And as well, of course, seeing how the development of, of rolling out the vaccines will help us get both for humanity, but also for the economy, one step closer to normality. So um, thank you all of you. And thank you to our listeners. Speak to you next week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.